Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Taryn Finley, a senior culture reporter at HuffPost, and this is I Know That's Right, a weekly podcast about the latest in culture, entertainment, and trending conversations. Pull up a chair, pour up a glass, and do whatever you need to do to get ready for this ride we're going to take to a place where mainstream news and the wild west of internet culture collide. From the news that makes us say, I know that's right, to the mess that you know is dead wrong, and to the more in-depth topics that I'll bring in a guest to talk about. This week, I'm joined by none other than the Grammy award-winning sensation himself, Usher. This is I Know That's Right. I Know That's Right! So this week, I'm saying I Know That's Right to Megan Thee Stallion. You might have heard already, but the Grammy award-winning rapper released one of her most vulnerable songs and videos today. It's called Copra. And in the song, Meg is shedding her skin like a reptile I mean metaphorically speaking not literally y'all and she's putting a name to a very real thing that often isn't talked about in hip-hop which is depression breaking down and I had the whole world watching but the worst part is really who watched me every night I cried I almost died and nobody close tried to stop me long as everybody getting paid right everything will be okay now there's a lot of hoopla about this song right but A lot of conversation has been around a few lyrics. Those lyrics in particular have people suspecting that her ex-boyfriend and rapper Partisan Fontaine cheated on her in her own bedroom. Now, she didn't name him. And it's what people are believing after the two parted ways and have since been seen on dates with other people. And this detail has been a sticking point that a lot of folks on the Internet are talking about, especially after Party posted Future and Tristan Thompson and what seemed like a petty response to the song on his Instagram. To be honest, I'm less interested in that. Yes, it's salacious, it's gossip, like it definitely is something that people will talk about, but I'm more interested in kind of the fact that she put out the song, you know? Now, don't get me wrong, if the cheating rumor is true, partisan, you can go to hell especially after the past few years that Megan has had. But I'm not going to dwell on his shortcomings. Again, I want to praise Meg for speaking her truth and giving voice to her feelings and experiences in such a public way. And I know that, you know, with not only the passing of her mom and grandmother, but also being the face of a trial that she wasn't even on trial for. And Megan has had a pretty hard few years. Her giving voice to her truth and speaking her feelings and experiences helps so many others who look like her and so many others just period do the same. I mean, she's discussed her mental health on wax before if you've listened to her last album she rapped about her anxiety and feeling unprotected and disregarded as a black woman and feeling grief of the passing of her mother and grandmother but this feels really different this feels very raw and vulnerable and so that shedding of the cobra skin feels very apt If you didn't know, she's also working on a forthcoming album. She's had some legal woes with her previous label that she was on. And now she's releasing music independently. So this is an amazing start to see how she's taking control of her own narrative and story. Meg, I'm rooting for you, girl. I know that's right. 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 I know that's right.
right. Now, let's talk about Lauren Hill. Everyone's fave until she ain't our fave. So now, Miss Hill is on tour with the Fugees to celebrate the 25th anniversary of her debut album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And y'all know that she has a reputation for hitting the stage late, 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 late. <laughs> I've definitely been a victim of her latehood several times and have said, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go on this tour. So during her L.A. show over the weekend, she addressed her disregard for time and told fans that they were, quote unquote, lucky that she even made it to the stage at all. Let's take a listen. She's This is not the first time that Miss Hill has explained herself and her lateness to fans. If y'all can recall, in 2020, she actually told fans that she was late to shows because her energy needed to be aligned with the time, which we all were like, hmm, okay. <laughs> I definitely laughed when I first heard that, but I also could kind of accept it as an answer a little bit more than this y'all lucky business. First off, let's be very clear. We're in a recession. OK, concert ticket prices and the prices of everything the hell else are higher than Wiz Khalifa on a hot air balloon. So when these people who pay good money to come and see you have to listen, stand in front of you after you were late and you call them lucky, it, it really feels like a big fuck you, the fans. Look, Lauren, I understand how draining the music industry can be. You and so many others probably weren't dealt a fair hand even after you cleaned up at the 1998 Grammys including one for becoming the first hip-hop artist to win album of the year I mean let's be clear you're iconic miseducation is iconic being infamously late to your own shows and telling your fans that they're lucky that you showed up is not right like People aren't just on you because they're picking on you, Lauren. It's the way you act, act, act. All I can say is do better, <laughs> okay? Last thing, we need to talk about Keefley, okay? Protect that man at all costs. And I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all who is dead wrong this week in the same breath. The Real Milk and Honey and all the folks who tried to discredit him as a food critic, Y'all are trash, okay? So if you've been living under a rock, he's a TikTok star and former MMA fighter who's known for his food reviews. What makes Keith Lee special is not only his down-to-earth personality and honest reviews that are on a scale of 1 to 10, but it's also the way he highlights struggling businesses specifically and drives business to deserving restaurants who may have not gotten the shine otherwise. I mean, he's truly using his platform for good as far as as far as I can see. And so when 
he announced that he was going to Atlanta as a part of his food tour. The streets were up in arms because apparently Atlanta's food scene in the restaurants there aren't necessarily that great customer service wise. And one thing Keith Lee is going to do, he's going to shake the table and he's going to be honest in his reviews. So he went to a few restaurants, one being the real milk and honey, which I'd never heard of. There are so many milk and honey. So, you know, the, the real milk and honey, I, I, I couldn't differentiate from the one in DC, from the one in New York, from the one in, I don't know, but he went to this one, which is not related to those. And because people know Keith Lee, he sent his family in to actually order the food and get the food. They were told that it was an hour and a half wait for them to get a seat. He walked in. They said, five minutes. We'll have a table ready in five minutes. He said, it's okay. I do not want to eat at your establishment. Because he's there to do reviews, because that is a part of his job. And that's what a part of what we as as his subscribers viewers etc expect from him he was very frank at the fact that he walked out of there without food because they were willing to give him special treatment and the biggest thing that Keith Lee has been trying to tell y'all with his reviews is that he doesn't want special treatment and if y'all are going to give him special treatment then you need to give every customer that walks into your establishment special treatment treat everyone like a Keith Lee is what he says so of course the real milk and honey responded with this really petty clip of them essentially saying who's Keith Lee did you see this Keith Lee video about the real milk and honey and who is this Keith Lee daddy you don't know Keith Lee yeah no to that, I want to say the real milk and honey. I know that there are a lot of people that probably enjoy your restaurant. There are a lot of people you probably employ. And there are a lot of people that have never eaten at your restaurant because you don't have a waiting area and you have this level of, to me, it looks like exclusivity that you want to to maintain. But this, y'all are going to reap the karma that's coming from doing Keith Lee dirty and trying to shit on his name, but also shit on your own customers. It's really a shame to see how much people have been really coming at Keith Lee's neck. Y'all are dead wrong because this man is nothing but the michelin star equivalent of social media right now and y'all want to discredit him and call him all types of names and to the woman to the woman who called him an ableist term girl i got your number i got your number but keith lee is much better person than i am so i'm gonna let him speak and i'm not gonna say what i actually want to say to y'all because what y'all have been doing have been nasty god bless you have an amazing day y'all be safe next up i'll have a very special guest joining me to talk about his super bowl performance vegas residency and new album coming out next year that's right the one and only usher raymond Stick around for a very special interview on I Know That's Right.
Welcome back to I Know That's Right. I'm so excited for this interview with Usher, but first I want to give a bit of context behind this interview. Before we chatted, Usher found out that his good friend and drummer Aaron Spears died. So, of course, Usher was in a bit more of a vulnerable state. I want to send another thank you out to him for still doing the interview and being so open with me in spite of the tragic news of the day. And also love out to Aaron's family and loved ones. And with that, here's my conversation with Usher. I'm really excited and super honored to introduce I Know That's Right's very first guest. He's an eight-time Grammy Award-winning singer and songwriter, the last artist to have an R&B album go diamond. Y'all diamond. That's 10,000 copies. 10 million. And 10 million. Excuse me. 10, <laughs> mil, 10 million copies. And he's currently ha- he currently has the hottest Vegas residency, just wrapped up his Paris residency, and will be the Super Bowl halftime show performer in February. Everyone, please help me welcome arguably the king of R&B. Don't leave your girl around him. It's Ursha, baby. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations on all of your recent success and even, you know, down to everything that you're able to give to other people with the one pledge and and just everything. How are you taking it in right now? How are you feeling balancing that balancing the everything that life throws at you while taking in the abundance? Like, are you are you able to be present? Yahweh. One breath at a time. You're as happy as your saddest child. The luxury that I have to be here in Las Vegas uh, and really kind of have what is now almost uh, my Wednesday, Friday, Saturday day job that gives me an opportunity at seven o'clock on the dot to be the audiences until 11 if I don't choose to have a long night. Yeah, man, Las Vegas has been very good to me, good to my family. And uh, how do I manage it to try and create some sort of stability and and balance? Um, My passion obviously has been there since I was very young, 11. And uh, the journey uh, that I have taken these 30 years of a career that then lead to, you know, specific albums like Confessions being, you know, the last historical R&B Diamond album and having a multitude of successful albums and, you know, successful tours and, and products and, you know, festivals and all of those things, you know, it really, uh, it started 30 years ago when that, you know, gratification of being um, granted this major stage of the Super Bowl, it started then. It wasn't just the preparation of these last, these few months here until February, um, but it really did start a long time ago. And that commitment has gone, it's had its levels. When you have children, you know, it doesn't change. Uh, you just have to figure out how to add that one, you know, 25th hour to every day. And and what is it? Um, it is that care. It is that attention. It is that time. Uh, and, and yet still passion to what you love that hopefully is inspiring to your kids, you know, because they're young. I have a 15-year-old and 16-year-old son uh, who, you know, you know, are very passionate about what they want to do. And I don't want them to feel any day less ambitious about what it is that they're passionate about. I, I can recall not having a father. And, um, you know, the fact that I had to find that ambition, well, they don't, because I'm here for them. 
And I'm doing my best to make certain that I can not only provide for them, but provide a, a measure of dedication so they understand what it takes to be successful at whatever they want to do. Uh, but man, I am really enjoying every bit of what I have experienced over not only the last 13 years, uh, last uh, 15 years as I'm celebrating, no, 20 years as I'm celebrating confessions. But now, man, this grand moment that's happened over the last three years in, um, in Las Vegas that has led to the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I actually saw the residency when it was at Caesars the first year and was completely blown away. It surprised me actually to learn that you were reluctant to do the um, residency in Vegas initially, especially. And that surprised me, especially because of that fun that you said you were having. You're so fun. You engage the audience in such an effortless, or at least it looks effortless to us way. And, you know, we just saw the Vegas Aces up there on stage getting down and everyone from Kimora Lee to Kiki to Issa getting serenaded. What energy do you tap into when you're on stage to be able to create this curated experience, not only for the fans, but... For yourself as well. Yeah. Well, selfishly, they're beautiful women, so I would naturally want to sing to them. Okay. No, but, <laughs> you know, reluctant. Uh, I think everybody was reluctant to get back to what we perceived as normal because we were in a pandemic when it first started, right? Uh, the first show in Las Vegas happened coming out of us being quarantined. And, you know, rather advised by state officials to stay in and not be social. Those were the things that kind of made it reluctant in the eye of safety and making certain that people felt that they may not be uh, exposed to, you know, COVID. Yeah, it was. And it was two things. One, uh, I think, you know, in many ways, Las Vegas has its perception of, oh yeah, that's where older artists go once they're at the end of their careers. And, that that's not ever been a part of who I am rather, you know, understanding the current cadence or either understanding the current conversation. My, my music is ageless. So uh, how do I fit myself in that space? Well, the way that I do it is I had to find a way to do it my way and introduce the things that I've always wanted to do. And it wasn't just about celebrating an album. It was about celebrating an entire legacy of music entertainment and also to a celebration. Uh, um, but yeah, that reluctance was partially uh, just the reality of where we were in the world. And then now, three years later, here, well, two years, two and a half years later, here we are, you know, still, still successfully doing it. And um, with all those barriers now dropped down and people can have a good time, yeah, don't leave your girl around me. Come with your girl and, uh, and, and enjoy it. Um, but man, every day, every night, there's something special that happens here. I just always hear about Frank Sinatra at the like peak of his career, right? Where he and Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin and these incredible comedians and, you know, this Ocean's Eleven or these um, a Rat Pack, you know what I'm saying? They, they had these like incredible impromptu moments. Well, that's turned to, you know, turned into a bit of what you can expect from my show on top of me entertaining you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to see what the Super Bowl performance, like what that, what you have to offer with that, because I already know, you know, people were begging 
for them to choose you i don't know if you saw the <laughs> the online discourse but people were like y'all will be fools to not have usher and this has been going on for for years you know you've had insecure men in a tizzy in vegas paris and everywhere else now it's about to be in their own living rooms okay um <laughs> i know it was on your bucket list to perform at the super bowl but where does this accomplishment rank among your career accomplishments i mean jay gave you the call and said it's magic hour what does that mean in the grand scheme of things yeah man well first and foremost thank each and every person that kind of partitioned or either um you know offered the conscience wake up call that said you know hey the propaganda yo you need to make certain that this is happening so i i'm 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 a praying man you know what i'm saying and part of my prayer has been that all of the things that represent life to a career would happen here. As I said, the perception that artists would come here to die or either artists would come here and be of residency because they, they don't want to do anything else. And no, it wasn't that. This is this was this this was a breath of fresh air to my life, a breath of fresh air to my career, and also to an opportunity for me to speak to my audience in a way that I hadn't in many years and bring different audiences together. You know, every album that I put out, you know, really after confessions begin to kind of create a bit of separation, but you got a very specific audience because of the nature of what I'm talking about or the genre of music that I'm playing with. But this audience, it, it brought everybody together. I got grandmas there. I got parents there. I got kids there. I got, you know, the girls clicked there. I got the guys there with the girls, the guys there with the guys. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like this was just a celebration of life. And um, very fortunate to have gotten that call from Jay-Z that it was time. You know, and of course, I was ready. And I am ready for it. I can tell you that you should expect uh, a celebration, a celebration of life for those people who are not able to be here with me for this performance. I'm going to be celebrating for them. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna be celebrating that moment um, for my entire career. I'm gonna be celebrating that moment for uh, the loved ones that <clears throat> prayed and 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 kept me lifted in the moment. We'll be celebrating for the 30 years of a career that I stand on. I'll be celebrating because music has been, you know, this this connective tissue between me and people because for every experience that I've had, I put it in the music and maybe that gave us something to cry to that gave us something to be vulnerable and, and transparent to that gave us something to celebrate to. And, um, I'm sorry, man. Um, you're fine. You don't have to apologize at all. Yeah. Mm. It's going to be a, a really incredible day. <laughs> it's going to be an incredible moment. Yeah, I, I feel your passion and I I feel how how much your heart is. I, 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 I believe I feel where it is and, and I'm I'm sending so much love to you, like seriously in, in all the prayer and, and just uplifting you. Um, and thank you again for for speaking with me. I have a few more questions. Um, so. I remember when Confessions came out, I was in middle school and it was the first time in my life where I thought I was grown. 
Okay. I didn't know. My young ass didn't know really what you was talking about on that album, but I knew that the vocals, the production and everything felt like the album for me of that time. And, you know, it, it still reigns as a classic today. How do you believe this album changed your career? If at all, because you were already Usher before that, but. I think Confessions gave me an opportunity to, it was a humanizing experience because I'd never quite been that vulnerable. The things that I chose to talk about, rather it was something that I was going through or either I wanted to put myself in to make certain that the people who were experiencing it knew that they weren't, weren't alone. Um, I think that that was the defining moment. I think that that then gave me an ability to be associated with a place, Atlanta. When you heard, yeah, you instantly knew what was going on in, in that sound and that energy that was coming from Atlanta, that energy that was coming from the South that was a bit in question because, you know, you had New York, you had Los Angeles. We knew about, you know, what the Los Angeles culture was. We knew about what New York culture was. We even knew about what Miami culture was, but we didn't quite understand yet the true value and uh, the connective tissues that tied the entire world together that was Atlanta. And look, here still to this day, if not still relevant, more relevant than any of the, more relevant in having a longer run than any of the others who had uh, an incredible contribution to uh, the genres that we play in uh, to be at the top. Um, Hip hop, born in New York City, but lost. Los Angeles had it for a minute, and then Atlanta is had it had its moment. But R and B too, like when you think about all of the people who came from that space and came, or either was introducing music and the Motown of the South. You know, we only knew about R and B from the perspective of like Solar Records, and we knew Motown Records. We knew Gambling Huff up in Philly, but Atlanta and what L.A. Reid. And Babyface did through LaFace Records. We didn't know it. And then when it became Arista, it just kind of got boosted on another level. And Confessions just gave this opportunity to, to be a major artist. I wasn't a foreigner to entertainment. You know what I'm saying? People knew what I had done if you'd seen me on stages before. But Confessions, it put a song in your mind. It put a feeling. It put a vulnerability that said, yo, this person is just like me. Or either, yo, he went through it, I, I feel it. We didn't have social media, so we didn't have the ability to investigate and find out and get the tea and hear what everybody else had to say about stuff. You've literally had a record to kind of convey this emotion and this reality of dealing with something that was really, really complicated in my life and also to about five other men's lives while we write now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Andre 3000, when he said the South got something to say, that wasn't just about hip hop. That wasn't hey. just about hip hop. And honestly, I love the title of your upcoming album, Coming Home. And Lil Birdie told me that it's going to be a little tour coming. So fingers crossed on on um, getting tickets for that, because we know what we know what the Ticketmaster Wars have been. But can you talk about um, essentially what we should expect from this next era of Usher and how you may incorporate maybe era things from the residencies or even from the past in what we'll see forthcoming from you. Hmm. Affirmations and being able to call things into existence, right? I feel like 
while the world may be saying that the genre of music as it relates to R&B has a very nostalgic uh, feeling, I don't think so. I think that I've been able to not only listen to where music has gone and the relevance that R&B has had in many different genres and been able to pull those things, to play with things that allowed me to come home to, you know, cadence that came from Africa. I'm a piano and uh, Afrobeat to be able to say, oh, those songs are rhythmic and those songs are also too emotional and honest, but it also too feels like a connective thing that says coming home. To be able to go back to, you know, my original team, you know, working with guys that I'd worked with in the past, rather it was Dream or rather it was Pharrell or rather it was JD and B Cox and, you know, John T. Austin, or rather it was working with my brother, Jay Lack, or rather it was working with, you know, producers that I've worked with in the past that understand the importance of R&B being just as relevant in this time as it has been in the past and giving a pathway to this, I don't know, uh, not necessarily R&B only uh, idea, but something that is truly fueled by entertainment, that is R&B, um, you know, musical and spiritual in terms of what you're talking about. All of those things are within this genre. Coming home represents all of it. Coming home represents my having gone through certain things in my life and now having a, a true perspective and having the ability to ration and understand why I've gone through certain things that I've gone through, to be able to cope with and be transparent within you know the way that I choose to share, you know, very vulnerable things that I've dealt with and I cope with as a man so that other men who might be dealing with a similar situation can really understand. Zara Hurston, Hurston, uh, I keep saying her name wrong. She had this quote, if you are silent about your pain, they will kill you and say you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, being able to share certain very vulnerable things lets it be known. If, if anything, I've used this as an opportunity to let you know that I just didn't want to continue to go through this, go through the same thing over and over and over again with, without having any understanding and remedy to it. I think that I did a lot of, you know, deeper soul searching before I, you know, finished this album and rendered this new offering. It is the next chapter. It is my magnum opus of this time as I choose to share it, you know? Mm. I really appreciate you so much, Usher. You do not know how much, especially, you know, given like this this sensitive time. I again prayers up to you and your loved ones because the fact that you even made space for me, it like as a black journalist and you know, come being the first person I'm interviewing on this show, christening it with your genuine energy and just grounded spirit, uh, it means everything. It truly means everything. And I just appreciate everything that you've done, all the music that you've made to make us laugh, to make us cry, to make us dance to, to make us make love to, like <laughs> Usher, like for real, like, come on now. I, congratulations on on all of it. And, you know, my my heart is 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 going out to you deeply affirmations again man what we say and the words that we choose you know it it it, it manifests itself in time and if my name meant anything rather it was usher raymond ushering light to man if you break it down you know that is 
somewhat of, of where I am and where I have been throughout all these years to be able to be that vessel for an audience. And now it far exceeds just that in terms of being vulnerable in front of the world and allowing them that to know that I'm honored to be able to be of service to make certain that people understand something that could really help them be prepared. Sanofi and being able to be a spokesperson for this movement is something that is uh, not only encourageable, but it's a passion of mine. But type one is something that uh, could be hereditary. Uh, there could be family history of type one diabetes. And then somehow in some way it could be a part uh, of your life or your child's life. Uh, so it's not something that, you know, can easily be frowned upon because it's not something that a child does to him or herself, but it is something that is, eh, my God, it's a, a wild, wild journey. There's a community, there's a community that has been built off of this idea that, you know, tomorrow can be better than yesterday was, or today can be better than uh, yesterday was. You know, when you speak of the, these terms, you know, cause it's all about balancing your, balancing your blood glucose levels. Your body produces insulin, and if it doesn't, your pancreas, your pancreas doesn't produce insulin, then you obviously have to supplement and take it. Of course, your doctors, endocrinologists, and people like that can lead you, but it is, it is uh, a bit uh, shell-shocking to have a child uh, who has every hope and dream of just living a, a beautiful, flourishing life without any care, eating what they want, you know, living freely without any care in the world, to having been a child who absolutely has to then watch and be very aware uh, of managing their blood glucose levels. Uh, so what I did with them is to create a pledge. It's called the One Pledge. Uh, it is the opportunity for families to have screening uh, for their loved ones uh, to potentially screen for type 1 diabetes. And then, of course, uh, within that process, if you go to the onepledge.com, there's a community there. You begin to understand that there are other people who are living with this condition, uh, this disorder that is a vivid, shell-shocking experience and getting acclimated to that better serves you to be prepared than to be blindsided. My story starts with, you know, my, my six-year-old and, you know, there are obvious indications of things that didn't seem normal. Of course, then having that ability to, you know, hear from my doctor and, you know, utilize valuable time to 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 get acclimated and understand what things will be available to my child. You know, what I would ask is if, you know, the people who are listening to this or either watching this, you know, if you would go over to the oneplace.com and pledge, you know, get your family screened, you know, if you can for type one diabetes and get a better understanding of it. Of course, ask any question that you can of your doctor uh, so that they can also to uh you know, prepare you and, and help you understand uh, what this world is, what this world of living with type one diabetes is. If I had this opportunity, I would have really felt um, more prepared. Um, you know, the greatest preparation is the fact that I was available. I love my babies. I love my children and I want them to live uh, an incredible life that flourishes and, and allows them to do each and everything that they want to do and gives them the tools that they need in order to do it. So this journey starts with informing yourself. So any person that I can talk to, theonepledge.com, go check it out, get in. And uh, I think of a quote that uh, 
Muhammad Ali said, you know, our service to others is the rent that we pay uh, on this planet. And this is, uh, you know, an offer uh, to be able to help, you know, fathers and mothers be prepared in the event that your child has type 1 diabetes. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That's the show, y'all. Thanks for joining us on this pop culture ride, and we hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Usher for joining me for this special conversation. Continue the conversation with me over on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. My tag is underscore tearing it up, T A R Y N I T U P. This show is produced by ACAST. Until next time, bye, y'all.